As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. Welcome to Rates and Barrels. It is Friday, July 28th. Derek Van Riper here with Eno Saris doing the thing we usually do on Fridays, taking a look back at the big news of the week so far and taking a look forward to some potential waiver wire additions for the upcoming weekend. Eno, we had a chance to talk about a few trades on the 3-0 show that went up on Thursday afternoon, but we didn't really dig into the fantasy implications of those trades. Now, Lucas Giolito and Ronaldo Lopez going to the Angels, their values don't change a lot from a fantasy perspective other than to say, you know, going from a playoff contending team or from a non-contending team to a playoff team, Lopez's path to holds, maybe saves if anything happens to Carlos Estevez, that improves and Giolito's win probability goes up on a given start. Now, as far as the park factors go, which would apply more to Giolito given that he's a starter instead of a reliever, maybe there's a slight upgrade there. I know the cell, as it used to be called, the ballpark, the White Sox playing, guaranteed rate field, I think it's its proper name now. I think it's one of the blah. parks that changes the most by the weather. Yeah, that's like the guaranteed blah. fourth generation blah, blah <laughs> corporate name. But it's like the park that in, in my head, they all change over the course of the season. Cool temps, warm temps, hot temps, all that. But that one seems like it's got some sharper shifts than, than some of the other parks out there. All that is to say, how much do you think Giolito's value changes, if at all, leaving the south side of Chicago and going into Anaheim? Well, uh, you know, Angel Stadium is also surprisingly uh, hitter friendly, I think. You know, I think I think I I, I used to think of it as more almost like neutral pitcher friendly, uh, but they changed the walls. And so even the three I think they changed the walls like two years ago. So even the three year park factors may not capture completely how hitter friendly um the stadium in anaheim is so i would say that the park factors are almost a wash maybe a little bit better um schedule factors you know one thing that i didn't bring up because i didn't want to be too much of a debbie downer that's already my role but uh you know in the 3-0 show we were talking about the uh, how smart it was for the angels to go for it and uh, the angels schedule is surprisingly hard it is, in fact, harder by strength of schedule on Fangraphs than most of the AL East. And 
it's crazy their non-conference uh, or however you say it non-divisional opponents are all awful <laughs> so uh and this this relates to Giolito because he gets the blue jays today that's not easy that's not an easy inner you know interleague play uh opponent uh, that's not interleague play but inter uh, divisional non-divisional opponent and then the next one is the braves oh thank you very much oh thank you we get the braves at home that's great then you get divisional guys like the Mariners, but then Giants out of uh, in interleague. That's not the easiest interleague opponent to get. And then the Astros and Angels in the division. That's uh, tough. And then they finish uh, with the Rays. Ouch. Uh, the Reds, <laughs> surprisingly ouch. Uh, and then Mets, Phillies, uh, A's, Orioles. Guardians. I mean, I just don't think this is a very easy schedule. The 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 patsies on the schedule include, I guess, the Tigers and the A's, and that's it. And the so Mets there's might a little be. bit of a minefield there. I would th- yeah. I would say that divi- like schedule wise, Giolito is slight downgrade. Maybe. I mean, his next two starts are Blue Jays and Braves. So if the schedule gets tougher and the team situation gets better. It's a wash. Values about the same I think overall. Ratios go up. Win probability goes up. So it's all it's I all think even. It's a wash. Yeah. I mean, it, the next one after that is Giants. That's okay. Uh, then Astros. That's tough. Rays. Yeah. That's not easy. Mets. I guess you could call that. that. That'll be interesting. I mean, the Mets are kind of up and down, but it is in New York, and that's nice because that's a that's a pitcher's stadium. The other implications of the trade, of course, would be the players going back the other way to the White Sox, more for keeper and dynasty purposes. I think Edgar Caro has a much better chance of being a starting catcher, given what the White Sox don't have in their organization right now. Very young for the level at double A, a very aggressive promotion, skipping over high entirely this year. So the, the step back at the plate shouldn't be that much of a surprise, given how aggressively the Angels pushed him. And then Kai Bush, I mean, I think he's a little quicker to the big leagues if the White Sox are looking for for innings in the back of that rotation, probably more for 2024 as opposed to someone we'd see down the stretch this season. I don't know if either of those guys have ridiculous ceilings, but in deep, deep dynasty leagues, they're probably a case at least to consider rostering Caro if your league forces you to start two catchers. Yeah, Caro uh, could have very nice upside considering he's a switch hitting catcher with a six percent swing strike rate and a 17 percent walk rate uh if carol gets the the sort of batted ball oomph back that he had uh, in 2020 2020 then i think uh you know there's there's uh, some real upside there the downside is of course as keith law pointed out He's not there defensively. So how long will he have to stay in the big leagues? This is why I always talk about how catchers debut later. You know, how long will this 20-year-old Edgar Carroll have to stay in the minor, minor, minor leagues to prove that he's good enough defensively? We saw it this year with Andy Rodriguez being ready with the bat and having to basically spend until, you know, late July in uh, just to kind of refine what our people already thought. He's like, is Andy Rodriguez a better catcher than Edgar Carrero? Yes. And so we already saw that like some people that are considered better defensive catchers than Edgar Carrero had to spend a, a long time sort of in finishing, catcher finishing school. So uh, I would guess that I we see neither of these guys next year, which means, 
you know, a good trade, I guess, for the White Sox, but does not help them be competitive in 2024. No, no, most likely does not help them much next season, but does long term give them some some boost in their organization. I think the the other part of any trade is looking to see who backfills. In this case, who's the starter that gets to stay in the rotation? I think Tuki Toussaint gets to stick. Uh, Mike Clevenger's on the IL right now, but Toussaint would be the fifth starter now that Giolito's gone. I at one point really liked Tuki as a, a prospect. He's 27 now. It was a long time ago. The bigger concern in the more recent past has been an elevated walk rate. I mean, last year it was only 25 in the third innings at the big league level, 19 walks. This year, 31 innings, 22 walks. So I don't think you can trust him in a starting role until we see some signs of that control improving. But he looks like the guy sort of winning on the other side as a result of Giolito's departure. I think this trade that we talked about from a, a real-life perspective that's more of a, hey, good, the Dodgers have a, a better shortstop and the Guardians take the flyer on Noah Syndergaard might be a little more fun from a fantasy perspective because I think it creates a spot for one of the other infielders in Cleveland to play. Now, when you look at the depth that the Guardians have, for now, it looks like Tyler Freeman gets a bump, but we have to imagine Brian Rocchio, who has very little left to prove at AAA, is going to also see a bump in playing time in the final two months of the season. Is Rocchio up? Not yet. Not yet. No, he. I saw he, he hit a home run this week, and he's still playing down there. Um, the first start was awarded to none other than Gabriel Arias, who we've talked about uh, on this pod. Plays all Because he over. hits the ball hard and does not make contact, so he is not the normal Cleveland Guardians prospect. I uh, projected for a 230 batting average and a 135 ISO despite a 114 max EV and a 6% barrel rate. I think that 6% barrel rate, which is held steady now for 230 plate appearances, not necessarily enough sample, but is also kind of uh, pales in comparison to his max EV. So here's a guy who's not accessing his raw power uh, and, you know, 60 raw power uh, on fan graphs, uh, 40 to 50 game power is uh, how I'd still describe it, even though uh, he's now had a little bit of a bite of the apple in the, in the major leagues. I think it's a long shot for Arias, honestly. And um, I don't I don't know if it's going to happen. It's, it's just those are really big swing strike rates. He's being patient, but the patience is only giving him is only making more strikeouts. And it's not amazing patience in terms of not swinging at balls. It's um, it's just not swinging. And so it's like overly patient. I don't know if aggression would help him. I don't know what would help him, but something's missing in this approach. Years ago, like two years ago, I was on board with Tyler Freeman as the low K rate, get to the big leagues, put a ton of balls in play, be a good source of average, good source of OBP. And then if if speed or a little bit of power, something went with it, he ended up being a sneaky, good deep league fantasy player. So I'm curious to see if anything changes with him. But the more we've seen Tyler Freeman in the big leagues, the less power we've seen, <laughs> the less power we've seen. The hard hit rates up this year at 40.6%. But we're at a guy that's got 136 batted ball events between this season and last. And he has one barrel. One barrel yeah. is a great name for a brewery. It's not a great nickname for a hitter. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And it's only so far you can take uh, uh, not striking out. Uh, had a 
big sort of online tussle with some hitting gurus, hitting uh, coaches and, and independent hitting coaches about, you know, was not making an out a, a good cue to give major league hitters and was that better than do damage? And I would submit to you one Tyler Freeman as someone who does not make outs in terms of strikeouts and is not also a major league asset. I have another angle to this swap. I'm beginning to wonder if Ahmed Rosario in some like 12 team leagues might be a little underappreciated right now because he leaves a Cleveland lineup that had a team WRC plus of 94. He goes to the Dodgers, who are fourth in the league at 115. And the difference in terms of runs scored for these two teams this year, the Dodgers have plated 570 runs as a team. I believe that is second in the league. Cleveland's at 434. So just having that gives Rosario, if the skills stay the same, a little bit of a boost in terms of counting stats. There's always the possibility of an adjustment, and he was an underperformer for the season thus far. So perhaps a little regression there, but... They're the not necessarily going to play him every single day. That's so that's the, the thing. thing that could work against him. I think that, I think that you know, going from a bad team where you played all the time and it exposed your flaws to going to a good team that's only going to use you, um, you know, basically against lefties is my guess, uh, is uh, not necessarily a, a good overall move for Ahmed Rosario. I think he's good in DFS, probably. Um, and, but in, in sort of daily leagues where I could swap them in and out, uh, which I think you'll need to do, uh, you would need to do that even if they used him more than just against lefties because it's the Dodgers and they don't play almost anyone every day. Um, so I think daily leagues, I think I'd be looking at 15 plus and it would have to be kind of deeper 15. And I don't think these, uh, these sort of weekly lineup 15 team leagues that I'm necessarily... I might even drop him. Interesting. And and I'm guessing with Noah Syndergaard, we're talking AL only appeal at most. And even there, I mean, his first start as a member of the Guardians is scheduled for Monday. That's going to be against Houston on the road. The Astros just got Altuve and Jordan Alvarez back. So, <laughs> so scared. <laughs> I don't think I would you know, willingly throw Syndergaard out there in What's most the second situations. part of that double tap? Does it matter? Can I, can I tell you that <laughs> you're it, right, you're right. <laughs> it's the A's yeah. and they're playing at the bottom of the ocean. Like, nah, it doesn't oh. matter. <laughs> yeah. um, you could just hope for some some magic in the first one. <laughs> hope that uh, your Don is, you know, knocking the rust off. I guess. Uh, yeah, he'll be he'll be getting the rust knocked off over think between now and then too. So you're, you're giving him a few days of, of runway before he gets to see Cindergard. And like I, I've kind of got this this bad attitude with Noah Cindergard now, where if the Dodgers couldn't fix him, I'm not sure anybody can. Right? We saw it last year with the Angels. The results weren't that bad, but the stuff just wasn't as good. It hasn't come back for him post injuries. It just it's not even close to the stuff that made Noah Syndergaard one of the better pitchers in the game a half decade ago. It wasn't that long ago. He was really good. I'm actually wondering if we're getting to the point now where clearly the Guardians need to nurse him through the season just to get innings. They got a lot of young starters. If they're going to be a playoff team, they would want to have their young starters available later on. Bieber's out right now. So that's like, why did they do it? But I think the next time we talk about Noah Syndergaard as a fantasy-relevant player, if we ever get to that point again, at least for mixed leagues, it might be because they decided at some point to move him to the bullpen. And that might even happen this year in Cleveland. 
that might be somewhere else a season or two from now. Yeah, I mean, he's trying something right now that he hasn't uh, before, which is uh, basically living off the cutter as a fastball. And, uh, you know, especially against left-handers. But um, I wonder if there's a radical realignment of pitch mix where they're like, you need to sneak your four-seam and sinker by uh, and live with the cutter, the curve, the slider and the change and he has a above average command so i wonder a little bit like a, a savali-esque approach even that i mean if okay so you think about where aaron savali is today and you think about it took a while meandering to make that work yeah, is yeah, that what okay. you're saying yeah yeah so it's like okay so this is good he's making some adjustments he's trying something different he knows he's not the the power pitcher that he was when he broke into the league anymore, if that's good, like recognizing the problem is the first step towards actually making it better. It could take him all of what's left of this season and the winter to get comfortable enough with that approach to even make it work for him. And then we're talking about someone, if he's like Savali, the K rate might still be somewhat low and you're still probably playing the matchups pretty carefully with him, which is never something we had to do back when Cindergaard was you know, the guy that earned the nickname Thor. Yeah, and even by Stuff Plus, uh, Savali's breaking balls are better than Noah Syndergaard's. Noah Syndergaard doesn't have a single pitch that rates above average by Stuff Plus right now. Yeah, I mean, hopefully he can find some way to make it work, but I just don't see anything there to be optimistic about uh, at this point. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service anytime. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Carlos Santana, the Brewers, broke while we were recording the 3-0 show. From a fantasy perspective, slight bumps here in terms of, I think the park factor would be a little better at American Family Field, so that makes him more appealing. I think playing time-wise, I don't think Santana's losing playing time compared to what he was getting for a share in Pittsburgh. I actually think this is bad news, probably for Jesse Winker, perhaps also for Rowdy Telez once those guys are back from the IL. I could see Winker falling off the roster completely or just being a left-handed bench bat, but you're talking about a guy with very little defensive value who just has not performed this year or last year. So we're almost at two seasons of Jesse Winker not being the player he was before. So his spot seems to be in danger to me. And with Rowdy, it's like Rowdy didn't look like himself before going on the IL either. So I don't think the Brewers are necessarily expecting him to come back and and be that power threat that he was a season ago. Yeah, I think there's probably an open competition for DH. Carlos Santana, I was rude to him uh, on the on the three O show, and I and uh, part of that is just that I wasn't looking at the defensive stats I normally look at, and so the defensive stats that I normally look at. 
uh, all say that Santana is actually still a plus defensive first baseman. By projections, by what he's done, he has not been even an average first baseman offensively since 2019. So even if he has been hot recently, I wouldn't expect him to be much more than maybe a league average uh, player, which, you know, first base, the bar is set higher. However, you know, the Brewers, I think, would take another league average bat, uh, especially if they, he plays good defense uh, at first. And so uh, they wouldn't they didn't spend that much to get him. They got uh, an upgrade on the infield. And I think DH is just a question mark for now. Um, when Rowdy comes back, I, I personally like Rowdy, but I have to admit, yes, he, he'd con he'd gone into the tank a little bit before, um, he got hurt and he's coming off a, a kind of a gruesome ripped nail off the, off the bed injury that, uh, that compounded with his other injury. Uh, so I hope that's, uh. Uh, you know, I hope that's not that long-term ramifications. I, I can't imagine. I mean, once the nail starts growing back, you're you're all right. But um, at the same time, he wasn't he wasn't right before. So uh, I would still. Long story short, I think Rowdy will take that DH job. I think uh, Winker will either fall off the roster or uh, be a bench bat for them. Yeah, Seventeen stitches removed from the fractured finger of Rowdy Telez uh, earlier this week. So. Yeah, that's, that was, that's the new injury, right? Yeah, that was the new injury. It was a forearm injury that put him on the IL in the first place. Gruesome. It, they got, it got stuck in the wall or something. I mean, it's just awful. And uh, I, I also wonder how what is left for this team. I think Urias comes up and Anderson is hurt. Brian Anderson is hurt, I believe. So maybe when they get fully healthy, it's Brian Anderson at third, Willie Adamas at short, Urias at second, Santana at first, Christian obviously in left. I think uh, Weimer has solidified. He's pretty much the everyday center fielder, right? And then a little bit of an open competition, platoon style, Freelick, Taylor, uh, Winker, Telez for right field and DH. Do you think there's another move in there? I think they have to make one more. You're right. I think Urias is really important to them. They need him to come back and, and be solid because they've been relying so heavily on a bunch of the guys we discussed and, earlier in the week. And getting a second baseman at the trade deadline is not super easy. No, I, I think they're okay with, with that being kind of a defensive punt position. I think the, the player that I'd be worried about playing time-wise in the final two months of the season is actually Weimer, even though he's a great defensive center fielder because Freelich can play center field too. So once you get Brian Anderson back, if you have Anderson and Arias on the roster together, you may have some days where you're going to play Anderson and right. You're going to play Urias at third, and you're going to play Bryce Terang for his glove at second base. Like that could happen some days too. And Weimer, despite hitting the ball hard, has contact problems and is a right-hander. But that whole that whole crew though, Anderson, Urias, they're all right. All righties, Weimer, all three of those Is guys Freelick are right. Too? Freelick's a lefty, and Terang's a lefty. Well, see, yeah, I think there could it could be then a and also if you're thinking about what's what's available on the market, I think uh, despite the market just uh, having a paucity of good offensive players in general, it's a little bit easier to get a right fielder than a second baseman. So uh, you could put Freelick and Weimer into a platoon in center and acquire a, a right fielder. Is it easier to get a third baseman 
than a second baseman because then you could just play Urias at second all the time, play a third baseman that you acquired, and then make Anderson, Anderson more of an extra guy. Yeah, make him kind of the semi-regular in the outfield. They, they've got a lot of a lot of players in the mix, and I think they have to find a way to consolidate between now and Tuesdays to make things a, a little less complicated. Candelario from uh, from the um, Kendall, there's not a lot. But there is Candelario from the Nationals at third base. Yeah, saw some Nolan uh, Arenado rumors bouncing around MLB Network as well. I don't think well. Tony Kemp helps. No, the Tony Kemp adds to their problem. Like they've got enough guys. <laughs> they, they need to start narrowing it down a little bit and upgrading some spots and getting a little yeah, more. Yeah, Candelario production. would be like an obvious starter. You know, you could just start for them. Uh, you know, Nick Senzel. No. Mm. Doesn't help. The uh, other situation that shifted overnight Thursday, David Robertson was traded to Miami, which seems like some bad news for AJ Puck and or Tanner Scott. And we expect more fallout from the Mets bullpen. Brooks Raley, I think, picked up a save on Thursday, but both Raley and Adam Adovino could end up on contending rosters. So uh, how do you see the Marlins managing the bullpen now that they've added an established veteran to that back end mix? I think when you go and get a guy like that, uh, you say thanks to your in-house guys, and you put you put the new guy uh, in at closer. You got a proven closer with the, the capital P and the capital C. <laughs> You've been going along with Tanner Scott, who has poor command, and AJ Puck, who's a young guy with uh, with great stuff. That seems to me like a, a great uh, eighth inning combo. Lefty righty, boom boom, lots of velo, lots of stuff, and then David Robertson comes in and won't walk anybody. Probably won't give up homers, um, and uh, you know, there's a there's that game where it's like often you win it in the seventh and eighth, so you're still gonna need Scott and Puck uh, from a real life baseball standpoint, and then sometimes the closer is just the guy who doesn't lose the game, you know. That seems to me like a, a good description of what David Robertson can do for you. Not lose the game. <laughs> yeah, they need it. Every game matters right now for the Marlins, given the spot they're in, trying to find their way into the postseason. Uh, a couple of interesting players went back to the Mets in that deal. Marco Vargas and Ronald Hernandez. We'll probably talk more about them on Project Prospect next week once we get a chance to kind of recap all the prospects on the move in these deadline deals. We talked earlier in the week about the Marco Luciano promotion. I think we should kick this to a would you rather situation as the weekend approaches. Would you rather for the rest of this season have Javier Baez or Marco Luciano? I just wish I could just see the lineup card this week for the (laughs) entire week. Because the Giants do this thing, you know. Where they just they could use him just against lefties. I think the risk there is enough for me to say I might rather any of the veterans you're going to put in front of me. Okay, that's that's fair. So then, what about younger guys? What about Ezekiel Tovar, whose role seems pretty stable at the Rockies and whose performance has been better in the last eight weeks than it was really in the first eight weeks, which was really a prolonged slow start for a guy that moved pretty aggressively through their system. Yeah, I, I'm taking Tovar, and I'm even taking Tovar um, for another reason other than just the same reason I just gave, which is, you know, sort of everyday, you know, stability of role and so on. I, I think there's some adjustments in the rearview mirror for Tovar a little bit. Uh, 
we've had really bad stretches for him, and this is a better stretch. And I don't think it's just bad ball luck. I think a little bit of just figuring out how to make his aggression uh, work for him. Uh, but I think just generally in terms of career, I'm taking Luciano over Tovar because as much as Luciano misses the ball um, and has swing and miss issues, he hits the ball harder than Tovar. And I don't think he has the same uh, really hyper-aggressive uh, approach that leads to this sort of thing in terms of um, where his strikeouts are coming from. In other words, he's shown just through walk rate Luciano has that he has a better eye at the plate than Tovar. Yeah, and that O-swing percentage for Tovar now, we're talking about about two-thirds of a season's worth of plate appearances, 402 plate appearances, 42.4% is the O-swing percentage so far. So pretty aggressive there. 8.1% barrel rate, probably a little higher than we thought coming into the year. I don't think anybody looked at 12.5%. That's where I feel a little bit more positive about Tovar than I had in the past. Yeah, like he's, he's coming along somewhat nicely great defensive shortstop's going to stay at the position of course too what about tovar versus baez for the rest of the year just breaking you know, the- made me do that one no tovar versus baez not luciano oh, versus oh now tovar versus baez because mm. in both cases it's like well playing time looks pretty safe and average obp might oh, be light they both have I power and speed tovar dude he's past him yeah it's, this is more of the the Javier Baez, it doesn't look like it's coming back, right? It turned 31 in December. I mean, he cut his strikeout rate, which is kind of amazing to me. And he cut his whiff rate. Those things are kind of amazing to me. But he did it at totally at the cost of his barrel rate. And, and he's, he's still, still swinging at pitches outside the zone. 49% like, of the time. Yeah, more God. than ever. More more than ever. It's I mean, so weird. Baez, I could see Tovar having a Baez-esque career. Less raw power for sure, though. That's that's for me, like the and that's and that's a big deal because if you take some raw power off of Baez's career, it's a lot less exciting, but less less swing and miss. Yeah, I think even though there's there's some chase there, it's, yeah. it's less chase already. Although it looks more yeah, like right, which is amazing to say, and and yeah, less swing and miss. Although at the major league level, Tovar's swing and miss has been pretty poor. Yeah, given his age, I think we could still reasonably expect at least some improvement in that regard uh, all right so really luciano i think what i'm gathering here is you're if you're bidding on him this weekend it's probably mm-hmm. in a 15 team league or a league with some kind of keeper element where for some reason he wasn't well, previously rostered element, he's already been owned he yeah, should be but if you're in like I a mean, keep eight sort I think of for redrafts I, I think i'm doing a make good bid i'm doing a uh, you know if i have a thousand dollars fab i'm talking about 10 11 13 am i going past 20 25 i don't know that i would because you just uh, I, I yes if you can wait till sunday you're going to get three days more information if he starts every day till sunday and you don't hear any more about tim anderson or paul de young um then that number creeps up even for me uh, you know even for me that's a little bit skeptical about how he's going to be used I was just thinking, who do they have on the schedule this weekend? They have the Red Sox. And so what are the righty, probables? I've got yeah, probables. Cutter Crawford, James mm-hmm. Paxton, and Nick Pavetta. So two righties and a lefty. All right, so you're going to learn a lot on Saturday. No, you're going to learn a lot uh, today. Today and Sunday. Today and Sunday. 
good to get two bites at the apple lineup wise against righties before. before but Casey Schmidt also hurt his finger in the game last night. Mm. Um, so I would assume that Luciano starts tonight because, unless Crawford comes off the IL. Now, if, yeah, if Crawford comes off the IL, which he might today, maybe they just IL Casey Schmidt or send him down. Uh, that's a notch in Luciano's uh, belt. However, if Crawford starts tonight, they could still be using Luciano very sparingly. So, Get DH for them, right? If they believe in the bat, wouldn't they be willing to DH him? Yeah, but that's like over Peterson against lefties. Yeah, or you got to put Peterson in the outfield. I don't want to put Peterson in the outfield. <laughs> you don't want to, but then like someone has to sit that you wouldn't normally sit. You have to sit Matos, play Yastrzemski in center, and then put Peterson on the field. That would, that's that would be the series of adjustments. Defense. That'd be awful outfield defense. And but what if Logan Webb's pitching? Are you more willing to do that? Because of the see, this is why the, the playing time on a micro level could still it could still trick us a little bit. You think like you're thinking more like three out of four or something? Yeah. Like today it's okay, and then next time, they, next Sunday he sits against a righty because it's not a ground ball heavy righty or something. They just yeah. Just thinking about it, I don't know. It's it, it's a potential mess. So. Tread carefully with Luciano in short-term situations, even though the long-term appeal is uh, very, very high. I wanted to ask you this. We talked about a lot of potential stashes on our show on Wednesday, and I wanted you to narrow it down to a few favorites, two, three favorites, more like priority ads potentially for the weekend, since the trades that we need for these players to have more playing time might not happen until after fab runs, make it the benefit of getting that information before Sunday night, but chances are some of these guys will still be blocked when the weekend comes to a close. I landed on three that I really like. Jonathan Aranda. I think the Rays move him. Hayden Wesneski. I think I made it pretty clear at the end of the episode on Wednesday of the Can pitchers. Can I guess your last one? Yeah, go ahead. You can guess my last one. Mark Vientos. No, I, I do like Vientos, but okay. I, decided, I decided on Michael Tolia instead uh, because he's already getting the opportunity. And he could probably continue to play even if they rocky it up and don't trade Crone away. Crone's hurt right now. I, I think they see enough in Tolia where they're going to let him play. So I think he was my my third of the group. If you can only add one, it's Wisniewski. Pitching's hard to find. The situation's good. We like his stuff. All the boxes are ticked. Is there anybody else that we discussed on Wednesday that you think should be at or near the top of the list where available? I think uh, Mark Vandos I want to throw out there. Um, I think they're gonna just uh, give him run. They're gonna. I think they're gonna trade Mark Canha and uh, Tommy Pham if they can. Although they did lose maybe a trade partner in the Dodgers who have gotten their two right-handers and decided on more positional versatility than uh, just oomph with the bat. Um, I doubt that they do another one because it starts getting a little hectic on the roster in terms of who you're going to drop off the roster, um, you know, in order to accommodate a fam or a canna. So um, I, I think I do think that Mark Vandal's going to is burned. Um, I, my uh, the reliever in uh, Chicago that I keep uh, forgetting his name. Why do I do that? It's so weird. Julian Merriweather. No, the other Chicago. Oh, uh, Gregory Santos. Yeah, Gregory Santos. Um, I think he's inching his way towards that role. Um, and Carlos Hernandez. 
So I, I tend to uh, think that the most obvious gainers at the deadline are the relievers who are setting up for teams that trade their closers. Um, I, the only reason that I didn't put a Met on there is that I'm just not sure where they stop with the trading of the relievers. Um, I'd say it's Brooks Raley now, uh, but it, he might be gone himself, in which case I think it's Drew Smith. But it just gets a little bit harder to navigate a bullpen, you know, when you don't know how many guys they'll trade. There's a little bit of that with the White Sox, too. Yeah, I, I feel I'm erring on the side of it being a lot, given the number of rentals in that group of relievers. But definitely a spot where someone could emerge to be the sole closer. And they might not be so amazingly bad that they still generate save chances over the final two months of the season, too. So that's part of the appeal of that's more Mets than White Sox or. It's yeah. really both of those teams. They're not going to yeah, be. Both those teams are not. They're not going to be Royals yeah. bad or A's bad. They're going to be a notch or two above that. Yeah. The other bat that I think is kind of interesting, unrelated to the Wednesday show, is Matt Walner. His playing time is way up right now for the Twins, and I think the thing that really caught my eye the last time I looked at Matt Walner was that he did a pretty good job of, of cutting down on some of his swing and miss. Like that was the huge concern when you looked at his profile. You could see the power, it jumps off the page for you, but he was always a guy that was striking out 30 plus percent of the time. He's at least in the high 20s now. You can live with that. He draws walks, he doesn't chase a ton of pitches outside the zone, and the barrel rate is really good. He's up to 13.6% over 127 plate appearances. That's combining last season and this season. So I think he does enough damage to live in the higher range for the K rate, right? Like this is this is all he's working. Ro- Rooker-esque. Yeah, he's Rooker-esque, but he's left-handed. So he ends up on the, yeah. the big side of platoon. And I could see him just running with that share of the of the job the rest of the way in Minnesota. The I think I agree with you. The uh he's been so good that Aaron Gleeman has just written an article uh, about how Trevor Larnack should be traded. Mm, I could see that because you don't need both of those guys. They're very similar. Very, very similar players. I, I would I would agree with that assessment. Uh, I don't know. I don't know. Larnack, you know, barrels the ball well too. Uh, lower max EV, uh, higher strikeout rate right now, but I think they have... Uh, Similar high strikeout rates. Uh, maybe maybe Walner's better on D. I think you know me figuring that out is not going. Yeah, and looking at the numbers is not going to help. It's something about maybe they just think that Walner is a better corner outfielder, and otherwise they're the similar. And Walner's playing better now. I mean, they did just choose Walner over Larnock because Walner stayed up and Larnock went down, um, and that's a big uh, decision that they just made. I have a team in Devils Rejects where I have both Walner and Larnock. And I traded for Larnack going into the season thinking, you know, this was his chance. We picked up Walner uh, just in case it wasn't Larnack's time. And now Walner is going to go into our lineup uh, next week instead of Larnack. Uh, instead of Larnack. So uh, there's a little bit of a, a healthy competition, I guess, going on there. And uh, maybe one of them ends up somewhere else uh, in full-time uh, playing, I still like both of them as your kind of prototypical three true outcome slugger types. Yeah, if you're chasing a little power, bit better in OBP leagues. Yeah, you're chasing power though. I think Matt Walner definitely can help you in that regard. Looking at the schedule for next week, I see six games on the schedule. I mean, trades this time of year especially can always shake things up. But five of those matchups currently 
projected to be against righties. So should start 80 plus percent of the time next week and the following week. Opening series only has one lefty out of the three games that are mapped out as well. So a nice the, little run of playing time after nine consecutive starts entering Friday. Might be an interesting thing in AL only and deeper leagues uh, to go semi-aggressive on Walner, knowing that it might cost you a trade deadline guy if you are betting against the trade deadline. <laughs> Especially if you are in sort of a mono league situation, I would bet against the trade di- deadline really creating a lot of everyday players. Um, I think that teams, bad teams that trade away players will use the option, even though I like Vientos, I think they might use that to look at a couple players, you know, and, and kind of, uh, you know, not give anyone just, you know, the full time and, and just generally teams aren't giving everybody full time anymore. <laughs> you know? So I just sort of doubt that there's going to be a big trade. Uh, maybe Cody Bellinger, uh, in, you know, off of the off the Cubs uh, creates a, a big opening. Um, you know, maybe Tim Anderson or Jonathan India uh, could create a big opening. But I would, I, I think, if you're looking for a position player and uh, you're you're debating, should I save this money for the trade deadline, creating a, a player, or should I, you know, go after Walner? I think maybe Walner is the better bet. Probably won't take a ton in terms of fab where available either. So I think that's part of the appeal with Matt Walner right now as well. And now two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. If you're as obsessed with basketball as I am, then you know there's no better time of year than the NBA playoffs. Hey guys, this is JJ Redick. Twice a week, I'm cooking up something special for basketball junkies on my podcast, The Old Man and the Three. I bring on guests in all stages of their careers to talk about the league and share stories you won't hear anywhere else, like Devin Booker on why he talks so much trash or Paulo Bencaro on his shooting workouts with Kevin Durant, Ray Allen's epic free throw competitions with LeBron when they were teammates in Miami. But it's not just about the player interviews. Every Monday, I break down the top three things happening around the NBA without the outlandish takes. Often joined by masterminds of the game like Tim Legler, we dive deep into topics like rookie reports, trade breakdowns, and why is mean mugging now a tech? The Old Man of the Three is the only companion podcast you'll need during the playoffs this year. Be sure to listen to The Old Man of the Three ad-free on Wondery Plus or wherever you get your podcasts. Let's talk about some pitchers. I saw Jose Urquidy is making some progress in his rehab assignment through 53 pitches earlier this week. That was Tuesday at AA Corpus Christi. So probably at least one more rehab start before he's back. And and the results this year before he went on the IL, those first six starts really weren't that good. The ERA crept up above five. The whip was bad. But the overall track record for Rikidi really over the last two seasons was so good that I tend to believe he'll come back and give them some quality innings in the back of that rotation. Given some of the issues we've had finding pitchers, knowing that the Astros are right there in the thick of the the race in the AL West and our likely playoff team this year. I like the idea of stashing Urquidy now, even if he needs one more week before he's ready to be activated by the Astros. He's got a four 
0.8 ERA projection in our model. <laughs> Talk yourself uh, out of uh, believing in your own model. It's fun. Okay, if I am going to talk myself out of it, I will say that the model still actually likes uh, his forcing fastball, slider, and curveball as averageish uh, to above averageish pitches, and does not like the changeup. And yet, he is a changeup first guy, um, and so maybe there's something that it's missing there. Uh, it's also just interesting that he has 370 innings pitched where not a damn person liked him. It feels like, and he has a three eight five ERA with a one one three WHIP over those three hundred seventy innings pitched in his career. So uh, there has always been a disconnect between what people think of Jose Urquidy and what he's capable of doing, and maybe that alone is enough for me to pick him up in deeper leagues. Is it enough for me to pick him up and start him in week one? I have a rule about guys coming back off the IL and well, whether or not I'd start them. If they are a no doubt sort of top 25 arm uh, that I would start all the time anyway, yeah, I'll start them coming off the IL. Jose Kitty, no. I'm not starting you off the IL. If he pitched again, I think Sunday would be regular rest for another rehab start that would bring him back late next week against the Yankees. On yeah, the road. Not, not starting in that. <laughs> probably wouldn't throw him there. And then the start after that would be on the road against the Orioles. We talked about how much that park has changed earlier in the week. That might be in a deeper league, something you do, you know, as your last pitcher in. But there is still some matchup related concern at the higher end, especially. You put him up against a good lineup on the road. Those are the spots we're really thinking twice about using him. And that comes from someone who has become an Urquidy believer over time like I, i've just looked at him and said there, there might be more here there might be more the swing strike rate was up again this year even mm -hmm. compared to what we saw in previous years i kept looking at his profile and thinking he's got to be a, a low 20 percent k rate guy at the worst and maybe like a mid 20 percent k rate guy if it all clicks because the command is so good and the arsenal is so deep so i haven't given up on urquidy finding one more level the health situation this year has just complicated it and probably reduced the chances of it actually happening. Yeah, that Orioles start, though, is kind of a little bit fascinating. If you believe in his changeup, he is kind of a changeup first guy. Uh, a righty with a good changeup in, uh, in Baltimore negates a little bit of that lefty power. Uh, Baltimore plays a little bit more friendly to lefty power now with Mount Baltimore out there. Um, and so if the, uh, the left field dimensions help him sort of stymie the right field, the right, uh, handed power a little bit and the changeup helps him stymie left-handed power, uh, maybe he has a, a decent start there. So it could be an interesting stash for that start. Um, or you might even be able to wait till after the Yankees start. Cause I can't imagine that'll be a great one. No, I think that's one you want to be really careful with. Baltimore, we'll see how the Yankee one goes before we decide if we're activating him against the Orioles on the road. Uh, Johnny Cueto, back in the rotation for the Marlins. He's only been a couple of turns in their rotation so far this year because he's missed a lot of time with an injury. But the Velo's up. He's up more than a tick from where he was last year. 92-6 on the fastball. It's his best fastball Velo since 2015. He's 37 now. I think the appeal is mostly the home park. But do you think we've slightly overlooked Johnny Cueto as someone that might be okay for some deeper league matchup-based usage? Or are we just trying to find an excuse to use a player that we kind of like because like. he's fun? <laughs> we liked him when he was in his peak. 
Um, I mean, there's there's still this sort of, you know, he's got lots of pitches. He controls the running game really well. There's, there's still these things that we don't know how to uh, really uh, like nail down in the numbers, you know, uh, their their effect on there, the shimmy or whatever. Like he keeps people off of balance. He has lots of pitches. He has good command of those lots of pitches, and he controls the running game. So it just it doesn't it doesn't add up to like the kind of guy that'll get blown out of the water as much as it seems like someone who might give up three runs through five with five strikeouts and maybe get the win. I'm imagining that if later on this season, in the middle of September, the Brewers host the Marlins, a four-game series. And I'm imagining <laughs> those two teams, down. like Cueto versus Julio Tehran in the middle of September oh, God. for two teams <laughs> jockeying for, a pl- for playoff spots. <laughs> That'll oh. be the weirdest day. And they'll both, they'll, they'll combine for like 12 scoreless innings that oh, day. God, with like 15 strikeouts. <laughs> yeah, let's put that one on the board. I think we might actually see that. Uh, <laughs> uh, I looked through the Rotowire projected starters grid again with the usual caveats in place times two because uh, look, everything could change as teams make moves in these next 72, 96 hours. But the. Yeah. The two star pitchers that I think are the most interesting and somewhat available, at least in 12 team leagues, I saw Ryan Nelson, who's got two on the road against the Giants and Twins, Ben Lively, who's got the Cubs on the road and the Nats at home, Jose Quintana, if he's not traded, at Kansas City, at Baltimore, and Johan Oviedo versus the Tigers and on the road against the Brewers. So out of those four, how would you consider stacking them up if you're chasing volume and trying to just get as many innings as possible into one of your spots this week? What were the Ryan Nelson uh, ones? At the Giants and at the Twins. I don't think he's ever seen the Twins. I'm going I'm to take him as my favorite. Um, he's he's underwhelmed in terms of uh, strikeout rate. He has underperformed his his stuff plus, and in fact, uh, that stuff plus has been dropping a little bit uh, over the course of the season, um, leaving him with just an above, uh, basically a 100 stuff plus fastball and a 109 curveball. Um, and yet, uh, you know, some of his better games have come lately. It reminds me a little bit of Clark Schmidt, who I just had in a piece today. Where he said, you know, my job is not to necessarily maximize stuff plus. My job is uh you know to to get out and you know and not necessarily think like a reliever where i'm just out there throwing as hard as i can throwing my best stuff um you know every inning until they take me out is more to think about how can i get through six innings um and i think there's a little bit of that with ryan nelson plus uh, the matchups I, I like them i like them better the uh i think the the ben lively matchups uh bother me a little bit um, you know, Washington is not a good offense, but that'll be in Cincinnati. Um, and at Chicago is just, uh, I think very volatile in terms of how Wrigley is going to play that day. Um, I, I don't like Oviedo as a pitcher. I just, it doesn't work for me. Um, so Quintana might be second where it's too bad. He's not at home, but at KC at Baltimore is a pretty good combination. Yeah, I mean those are those are solid in terms of parks. So I, I think Quintana at least avoids being last on the list. I 
I think I'm worried about Ryan Nelson the most based on the matchup. So I think I'd put Nelson last of the bunch. I'm probably going Oviedo up top. You don't like at SF? I don't for Nelson. And I think it's because it's not the park. It's the lineup. It's the team. It's, it's the team. I feel like they have they have a way of, of breaking down a guy like Ryan Nelson and hanging five or six runs on him and making me look stupid. Mm. That's been the the mark of this Giants team going back to the great Austin Gomber. Who's uh, your number one though? incident? I think I'm Oviedo. I think I'm playing for the strikeouts here. Hmm. I think I'm worried about Quintana getting dealt and and missing out on, on at least one at of Milwaukee those starts. Milwaukee is uh, is just is just so oh it's such a weird one because at Milwaukee my first uh, my first impression is just like you know oh uh, that don't pitch someone there you know right M- Milwaukee's a tough place but then their offense is bad <laughs> I I think it's the I trust the K's are going to be there so if I'm going to take on risk and I feel like you're taking on risk with anyone at least Oviedo is probably going to project for the most strikeouts of this bunch and with that first start being such a good one against the tigers that sort of adds a little extra juice to it so i'll go oviedo quintana because if he gets traded it might be after the royals start then he might miss the the orioles he might make his debut against someone easier Mm. i'll go oviedo quintana i'm gonna reverse order that list of them oviedo one quintana two lively three nelson four lively it's a little bit like the colin ray situation in milwaukee where you're he leaves, goes to goes to KBO for a little bit, comes back, and is having some success. And the thing that really surprises me with Lively is his K rate to this point, 22.1%. That's pretty surprising. He has a home run problem, but he's usually had pretty good control looking at most of his minor league stops years ago and what he's done uh, you know, across the board. It's, it's not usually a high walk rate, so he can live with that. And since one of those starts is on the road, it's not terrible. Usually, it's more pitcher-friendly at Wrigley than not. You can get burned. You could start them, and the wind could be blowing out. But I think I'm okay with that. And I think with the Nats being a team that will move some players before the deadline, that well, lineup's a bit weaker when they get to Great American Ballpark. So I think that lively two-step is actually somewhat usable. I'll go. I'll, st- I'll stick with Nelson, though. Uh, Nelson, uh, Quintana, uh Oviedo. <laughs> Lively. All right. Lively All right. does have an interesting fastball in that uh, it's been called an invisible in terms of he hides the ball really well. Um, uh, but uh, one thing that's interesting is that he's been featuring the slider a lot more since he's come back uh, from uh, KBO. And uh, Stuff Plus says it's a 62 Stuff Plus slider, which is like the lowest number I've seen for a slider. So I don't know what that's about. It's yeah. also super slow, like an 80 mile an hour slider. There's There are some good ones like that, but it's it's on the rarer side. It's a weird one to be sure. Looking at these streamers with just one start, and Shadow League's Cutter Crawford, if he's available, I think he stands out for me in this group. I saw Jamison Tyon still out there a lot of places. He gets the Reds, tough matchup, but he gets them at home. Drew Smiley would catch the same matchup if he's not traded, but just like Marcus Stroman, I think Smiley could be on the move at some point here in the next few days. We've got Graham Ashcraft home against the Nats. Brandon Williamson on the road against the Cubs. If they're still in the rotation, Adrian Hauser and Colin Ray. I have more turns on the schedule. You have Hauser getting the Nats on the road. Ray would get the Pirates at home. Brandon Woodruff making some progress in his rehab, though, so he could pop up 
back in that rotation pretty soon. And then Yanni Chirinos, who's now a member of the Braves, could see the Angels. That's an NL-only league play, if that. I think Yanni, unfortunately, just doesn't miss enough bats. So of the other names for streaming considerations, that anybody sort of jump out to you as a, a viable option? Um, Ashcroft's been featuring the sinker a little more since he came back, which I think is just good because he, he's got the two-pitch problem. Um, uh, so uh, that one sort of is interesting to me. Tyon is interesting to me as a stash, but I don't like that matchup. So it could be one where I pick up uh, Tyon for the next week if I like that. And what would the next week be for him? At the Mets. Yeah. Yeah, and maybe would, a second like one, one at the Jays, depending on how they want to play it, because they have an off day in the middle of that week. They're off on that Thursday, so they could throw him on regular rest and just use they four may starters. They want to throw him on regular rest just because they want to get him back right. You know, I mean, that's that's the work because he's under contract for next year. You know, <laughs> so mm-hmm. um, you know that's an interesting one where uh, Tyon I wouldn't pick up for this week, but for the next one, in terms of just picking up a a player off this that I think might get off the streamer list, uh, the the names are Ashcraft, Tyon, and Crawford. Um, and I think Crawford's pretty close to not being a streamer. Yeah, it's like um, some twelves he's available, but I think he should be picked up in those leagues and probably kept beyond this turn. At Seattle's not even necessarily a team you're picking on, but it's just that Crawford looks pretty solid. Yeah, yeah, Crawford looks solid enough to n- maybe not even call a streamer. Yes, uh, Tyon would be someone that I would almost stream for the next week. Ashcraft is someone that just is so rough that. Uh, at home versus Washington is not necessarily one I'd want to maybe start, but if you have a place on your roster for like a, a speculation uh, pickup, you know, if he does well in that game and, you know, throws the sinker a little bit and, you know, is figuring out a way to really uh, turn that lineup over, then um, you may, may use him in his next start, particularly away from home. Yeah, I'm on the same group that you are here. I think the the only other name that made some sense to me was Williamson because I, I think at Wrigley, I'm erring on the side of that being a, a good situation park-wise. It's the day after the deadline. If the Cubs sell, could be a reduced lineup that day. But there's no guarantee that they do it. I mean, they're, they're close enough to just hang around or kind of play the middle if they want to and, and not necessarily be an easy matchup for these final two months of the season. We talked a lot about I mean, the, the possible... the Reds could collapse... You know, they're only five and a half games out of the division. The Reds could collapse and the Brewers still don't really have a good offense. So no, they have more work to do if they're going to go ahead and, and really take control of the NL Central. We talked about some of the closers that were likely to end up in save situations on the episode on Wednesday. One thing we didn't talk about was the Cardinals because uh, Jordan Hicks, you know, by most accounts is keeping the seat warm until Ryan Helsley comes back. But Helsley's on the 60-day IL for at least another 10 days or so. I think it'd be the earliest he could return based on the timing of that move. Uh, the Rangers are among the teams interested in Hicks. And Hicks is actually a free agent this winter, so he's just a rental reliever. But do you think there is a place like Texas or anywhere else where Hicks could go and continue to get saves over the final two months? And if we don't see Ryan Helsley come back right away in the weeks after the deadline, is there anybody else you like to backfill in that Cardinals pen once Hicks is out of the picture? Well, I would assume Gallegos. More Giovanni Gallegos, sure. Yeah, I would, I would assume Gallegos if Helsley's not ready. But I think Helsley's, even though he's moved to the 60-man, I think uh, he's it, it, 
I heard that the, the update before that was positive and he's throwing in. So um, I, I, I would assume that, you know, he might just be a week away and that it's, he's just been out so long that they used the roster spot and moved to the 60 man. Um, so I do think Helsley will still get saves, but I think Gallegos is an interesting stash. Um, and then Hicks, you know, where would he close? I, you know, it's, it's funny if the Rangers are interested in him, I, I could actually see him and Chapman, not necessarily platooning, but both getting saves. Yeah. Just both being part of playing, playing some matchups and having close to 50% shares of, of that of that closer role. That's definitely a possibility. I was thinking about it too. I'm like, what teams are good? He would close for the D-backs. The D-backs would be one. Is there anybody else that's that good where they could just take anyone like that and just plug them right in? That they would buy a, a closer like uh, Hicks and uh, like would buy Hicks and put him in as closer. Yeah, or, or buy any other closers available and just let them close. Because the fear is always that your closer is going to become a setup guy at the deadline. That's that's right. usually the fear. Would the Yankees? I mean, they're, they they put Holmes back in, but they, they've played around with that. Yeah, it's at least unsettled enough where I wouldn't snap drop someone who got traded into that bullpen right now. I'd let it play out for at least a week before making that decision if I could. I think I would, yeah. How about the Braves? It, 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 there's an interesting... The Braves have a good bullpen <laughs> but it, who's their closer is it iglesias it's still iglesias the usage he's, for he's their like bullpen, one of the worst relievers of the <laughs> of the back end relievers i feel like yeah his ratios are the worst they've been since 2019 so era is close to four whips a little bit rough right now uh, underlying skills are still pretty solid 37 to 9 strikeout to walk we've talked about him before as a a closer with more pitches where you would think he can age a bit more gracefully than most so i'm not that worried about iglesias but they have plenty of alternatives if they decide they Joe want to shuffle Jimenez up the order aj mentor would both close over iglesias for me i think hmm. both although mentor mentor is uh is wild yeah and and know, hurt right i guess now. he's he's hurt yeah I saw Kirby Yates out there in that Brewers series. He picked up one of the saves, had a really uh, nice battle to actually get that save done. I, I don't know if he's got quite the same stuff that? that he had a few years ago. Yates. Um, oh, yeah. But he's done it before. You know, that's always that's always one of those things that kind of nudges guys back into the role. But I I think if you Basketball's said not all the way back. who's going to lead this Atlanta team in saves the rest of the way, I think it's still Rysel Iglesias, even if he's sharing a few more opportunities than we expected going into the Sneaky season. interesting place where if Hicks landed, he could he could maybe close. Or maybe they would become more of a committee if they added one more high-powered arm like that. But And Joey Menes has been you know a rock in terms of uh creating holds he's the holds guy the stuff plus loves him the you know k minus bb loves him he's been really good for them um i don't know i don't know what holds them back maybe they just they that's what they want they want him to be really good there as a, as a holds guy and as a, a setup guy basically yeah a sharp ad that they made going back to that this past winter yeah it wasn't that long ago that Joe Jimenez was added to the mix in Atlanta. We are going to go on our way out the door. A reminder, you can get a subscription to The Athletic for $2 a month for the first year at theathletic.com slash rates and barrels. Find Eno on Twitter at Eno Saris. Find me at Derek Van Riper. That's going to do it for this episode of Rates and Barrels. We're back with you on Monday. Thanks for listening. 